Uh, we have a special guest with us this morning, Bob Mitchell. Bob is with the Gideons. Uh, I think we have some Gideons in our congregation. You want to raise your hand, guys, if you're a Gideon? Gals, too. All right, that's good. All right, great. Right here. I guess this is the Gideon crowd right here. All right, great. All right, good. Hey, Bob, come on up. Uh, I think the Gideons had a special event this weekend down in Gettysburg, and uh, so this is kind of Gideon weekend, but we wanted you to hear about the ministry of the Gideons. Uh, just a great ministry, uh, getting the Word of God out. So, Bob, good to have you with us. Thank you very much. You've probably never heard of Marcia Schisler, but she and her invalid mother traveled from Bradenton, Florida, up to Illinois for a series of medical appointments that her mother had. When they got to the motel that night, Martha had brought a novel along with her, but she was unduly worried and concerned about her mother. That novel just didn't seem right. She looked over in the nightstand and saw a book there. She picked it up. Martha and her mother weren't churchgoers. She was really unfamiliar with the Bible, so she treated it just like any other book. She opened the front cover, turned to the first page, and started reading. She got to the story of Joseph, and she was so impressed with God's providential care of Joseph that she had to wake up her mother and read the story to her mother. They spent a week in that motel, and each night when they came back from the medical appointments, Martha read some more of the Bible, some she read to herself, some she read aloud to her mother. When they left the motel at the end of the week, as I said, Martha and her mother weren't churchgoers. They didn't have a Bible of their own. So Martha took that motel Bible, put it in her suitcase, and took it back to Florida with them. Now, I used to say we didn't recommend that. Since then, I've been corrected. We do encourage stealing. If you don't have a Bible of your own, take one out of the motels. We will replace it. But Martha and her mother took that Bible back to Bradenton with them, continued reading it nightly for the month. At the end of the month, they both gave their lives to Jesus. Martha and her mother were both very thankful that someone had placed that Bible in that motel room. We estimate that over its useful lifespan of about six years, each motel Bible has a possibility of reaching 2,000 300 different readers. Most of you are at least a little bit familiar with the work of the Gideons. You know that we're the men and women that place the Bibles in the motel rooms. But you may not know that we are an interdenominational group of Christian business and professional men and women who take very seriously the word that God gave Isaiah in the 55th chapter and the 11th verse. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish the purposes whereunto I have sent it. There are now almost 200,000 Gideons serving as an extended missionary arm of your church in over 200 countries throughout the world. We print and distribute God's word in over 100 different languages. Our purpose is the same as yours, both individually and as a church, to win men, women, boys, and girls to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We accomplish that purpose through the placement and distribution of scriptures. Uh, we place God's word in not only in motels and hotels, but also in elementary schools, secondary schools, university and colleges, uh, hospitals, convalescent homes, military induction centers, or for that matter, wherever God opens doors. We place God's word, we trust him to do his work with his word. Ralph Freeman tells of the story of uh, an advanced emergency medical technician, Joe Kelly, who was helping in the cleanup of, uh, after the tragedy, tragedy of 
As Jill was working there at Ground Zero, she encountered a Gideon, and he gave her a small New Testament. Jill took that New Testament back to the relief shelter where she was staying and started reading it. Jill had grown up in the church and knew God, but over the years she had sort of fallen away. As she read that New Testament during that time of natural tragedy, she rededicated her life to Jesus. On her way back to Ground Zero the next day, she encountered a man. He emerged from the wreckage, bloodied, tattered. Jill fixed him up as best she could, and as she was working on him, he noticed that New Testament that she had. He asked her if she would be willing to trade him that New Testament for a battered artificial rose that he had. At that time, Jill took the New Testament and wrote her pager number in the front cover of it and traded him that New Testament for that battered artificial rose. Two summers later, she received a phone call, and it was the same guy. He said, praise God, I have hope in my life because I have Jesus in my life now. And I like that story because it really illustrates how our work works. As we give people a Bible, we're not really too sure who's going to use it. It may be the person we give it to. It may be someone they pass it on to. But we do know that God will use his word for his purposes. We also distribute um, God's word internationally. After the fall of the Soviet Union, one of the um, events in Russia, the Russian Gideons were given five lecture halls at the University of Moscow where they were able to distribute God's word. They were there during the week. At the end of the week, they had given away over 32,000 scriptures to students and faculty. Later, a Gideon was speaking at an event in Canada. And as he told that story, there was a Russian concert pianist on that same program, and the concert pianist came forward and said he had received a copy of the New Testament there at that distribution in Moscow. He took it not to learn about Christianity, but because it was a bilingual scripture. It had English on one side and Russian on the other side, and he took it so he could learn English. He would read the Russian, then he would read the English translation, and that helped him improve his English skills. Guess what happened? God had other plans for him. As he read the Russian, God's word spoke to him. He came to know Jesus. You've heard this morning how our work has not been in vain. We've distributed God's word, and he's used it for his purposes. People come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior through reading his word. What can you do to help assist and help fulfill the Great Commission? First and by far foremost, you can pray for us. You know, people sometimes say, well, all I can do is pray. You know, you're right. That is all you can do. This really isn't a work that I do. My job is easy. I walk into an empty hotel room, I place a Bible on the shelf, and walk out. How much easier could that be? I stand on a street corner and I say, would you like a free New Testament? Would you like a free copy of God's Word? They either take it or they don't. Again, this is not a work I do. This is a work that God does through His Word. As people read it, as they open it, God speaks to them. They truly hear God's Word. He opens their minds. He opens their hearts. And that's only accomplished through the faithful prayers of good Christian men and women like yourselves. Please pray for us. If you pray for us, you've done the most that you possibly can. Thank you.
I also want to give you the opportunity, if you're willing and able to, to support us financially. There are several ways you can do that. If you didn't receive one of the bulletins on your way in, they were sitting right through the door here. Take one on your way home. Take it home with you. Use it. A lot of good information in there, probably better than I could tell you. There is a nice donation envelope attached there. Tear it off. Send us a donation. For those of you that, are, that know how to use your smartphone, there's a quick response code here on the back. And even sitting right there at your seat, you can pull out your phone, use a quick response phone card, and make a donation. Now, it won't work immediately. There's a 15-minute delay because they want you to listen to what I have to say before you give us money. Then also, there we have our Gideon cards. There's a nice display down this hallway of our various Gideon cards. These are just uh, normal greeting cards like you would buy anywhere. Inside, there's space to write a personal message and a space to indicate that you have given money to donate Bibles for the person you want to honor. And then inside the card, there's also a donation envelope. Send the donation to us. Send the card to the people you want to honor and they will be blessed. Bibles will be placed in their names. People will come to know Jesus as personal Savior. In closing this morning, my message can be remembered very easily by remembering three M's. We are the men and women of the church using the money of the church to take the message of the church to the world. Thank you very much for your time and attention this morning. Word of prayer for Bob and for the Gideons. And uh, appreciate your many years of service uh, and the blessing that God has used in getting his word out. Father, thank you. Thank you for this great ministry that you've raised up and the men and women who are faithfully uh, carrying it out, uh, doing it as a service, not certainly as a profession, but using them, Lord, to distribute your word. Bless your word. We thank you for this passage that we're reminded of today that you've promised that you will do so. And so, Lord, I pray that, uh, that as your word has gone forth, uh, that many, many, many will pick up your word and read it, and uh, that you will use it to bring them to faith. Bless Bob and all of the other Gideons, Lord, and their work, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bob. I know uh, our folks here were saying that uh, Bibles were distributed yesterday over at, uh, at um, yeah, what's the name of that college? Dickinson, thank you. You know, just had a stop in my head there. But Dickinson College, so uh, pray about those as those New Testaments and Psalm and Proverbs uh, were handed out there, um, the students who would take them, and hopefully they'll be reading them. So a great ministry. Hey, I heard I had, the ladies had a great day yesterday at the uh, ladies' event. Uh, thank you all who uh, worked so hard at making that possible. And, and uh, Bonnie, I uh, heard some good word about your presentation. Thanks for doing that. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful time. I, I went in and looked at all the ladies' beautiful tables and all of the beautiful things set up there, and I said, I can tell this is a ladies' thing. If it was a men's thing, you know, we just throw it on the table and wouldn't even have any utensils, you know, we just kind of eat that food, you know, stuff like that. That's why we have a man's day, you know, coming up. All right, yeah, okay, all right. You, you get it, you get it, right. All right, well, uh, this is the second in this uh, short series uh, on the heart of Jesus, as we look at John 17, this prayer that Jesus was praying in the presence of his disciples 
uh, closing out really the upper room discourse as uh, they had had the Last Supper, and he had given them many, many comments about what was going to be happening as he was going to be leaving, and the Holy Spirit would be coming, and uh, that his presence was with them, and encouragement and strength for them coming their way from him. And so as we look at this prayer, this is, kind of, this is the conclusion of that uh, upper room discourse, and in this prayer, we discover the heart of Jesus. And last week we talked about that the heart of Jesus as shown in the first five verses of that prayer are really for the glory of God. Jesus was all about bringing the Father glory. And uh, of course we were challenged ourselves to consider as followers of Jesus that our lives would bring God glory. In this section today, verses 6 to 12, we will find that Jesus is saying that on his heart are those who are his. On his heart is the concern that he has for those that are his. In, chap in chapter uh, 17, verse 4, in what we looked at last week, Jesus says, I brought glory to hear you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And then in this section, he tells God the Father some things he has done in completing the work he was sent to do. So let's read this passage. Uh, we're going to read verses 6 to 8 to start with. We're going to take a section at a time. So John chapter 17, verses 6 to 8, reading from the New Living Translation. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. As I read this prayer, as we think about it and consider it, um, certainly Jesus is praying his heart to the Father. But he's also praying it out loud uh, to the disciples, that they're hearing his heart. And of course, we're receiving it even today, as God has given it to us in his word. We're, we're hearing Jesus' heart. And earlier in this upper room discourse, Jesus had said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus came into this world so that we may know God personally. Rather than stand far off and, and judge the world, God sent his Son to relate with us so that we can have a relationship with him. The work that Jesus came and completed was to show us the Father, was to bring us to a relationship with God. And certainly he did that ultimately by paying the price for our sin on the cross. But he came to show us who God is so that we will know him. He knows our need. He came to take the action that was needed to rescue us. Someone had shared this analogy. I first heard of it uh, from J.I. Packer. I don't know where he got it from, but uh, in some of his writings. But he said this, Suppose you saw a large anthill in your yard and you knew the new pest exterminator was coming tomorrow to spray, bomb, and kill all such pests. You have firsthand knowledge that this colony of ants was in imminent danger, doom, and destruction, yet the ants have absolutely no clue. So how could you, a human being, Communicate this to these ants. The only real way to help save them 
would be for you to come to them as an ant yourself, as a member of their own colony. Some would listen to you. They would heed your warning, and they would seek a new life, a new way of thinking, a new place to live to get out of that danger, while others would scoff at your message and not understand or agree with all the odd descriptions and concepts that you were teaching, preaching, and warning. Whether or not they listened, at least you would have done your best to save them while still preserving their freedom of choice. Kind of an interesting illustration, but certainly giving us a picture of the fact that God came to us that because we needed to know our desperate situation. We needed to know that we are going to be facing wrath, the wrath of God unless our sins are taken care of. To know that he was providing for us a way out. To know that he loves us and doesn't want to see us perish. And so he became one of us. That's the miracle, the, the wonder of the incarnation. That God became one of us in Jesus Christ. And so God sent Jesus, his son, who humbled himself, reduced himself to our level, so that he might teach us and save us by dying for us on the cross. Jesus has revealed that God the Father loves us, is for us, and desires to rescue us from our sins. And those who receive the gift are rescued. Those who receive the gift of eternal life that Jesus provides belong to God. We are his sons and daughters. And, and Jesus prays here, thanking the Father for giving him, them to him. He gives them to Jesus because Jesus is the Savior of our souls. And in him we find life, love, hope, peace, and much more. And Jesus prays here that those that are his keep God's word. You know, this is the evidence, isn't it, of those who've been saved. I mean, we heard the testimony this morning from the Gideons that, that they, they hear the word, they, they read the word, that they, God uses his word to bring people to himself. But you know, one of the things that's evident in somebody that really comes to know him is that they continue in his word. I know when I became a Christian at the age of 14, uh, I had been exposed many times in Sunday school and all to the to the Word of God, and, and, and had mem even memorized passages and like that. But I didn't know Jesus as my personal Savior. Went away to a camp, heard the gospel, opened my heart to Christ. And, and I remember my mother saying, you know, one of the things I really noticed about when you came home was that every night before you went to bed, you read your Bible. Well, I read the Bible before, but it didn't mean the same thing. I had the life of Christ in me. You know, the Holy Spirit was in my life. And, and my eyes were opened, and it, it was food for my soul. And... Uh, you know, I've continued to read the Word of God throughout my life. Why? Because I desperately need it. But it is an evidence of knowing Christ. You have a hunger for the Word of God. Thank God for it. And don't lose that. Take advantage of it. And uh, if you don't know the Lord, be, spend time in His Word, and you will come to know Him as your loving Heavenly Father. When we come to Jesus, we become like Jesus. We begin to become more and more like him. We understand God's word. We submit ourselves to his word. We do what he asks us to do. Not, not every time, but we come to him asking for forgiveness, which he encourages us to do, and he promises us as we come and confess our sins to him, 
that he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We also know that Jesus is God, and through him we are recipients of God's gifts, salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Jesus prays that. You've given them to me. They have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift for you, for I have passed on to them the message that you gave me. And then he says they accepted it and know that I came from you. This is an interesting prayer section here that it doesn't solve our struggle, obviously, with the whole issue of God's sovereignty and man's ability to choose, but it does show us that both of those are a part of what God is doing. You notice that? Jesus says, these are the ones you've given me. That They've been yours from the beginning. There is the element of election here. God knows who will be his. Now, some people say, well, why is there any worry about doing anything? Why don't we just kind of sit around and everybody's going to be his, already going to be his, and, and, and we, you know, he's already got that figured out, and you know, and, and, may, and sometimes we worry, am I really going to be one of his? I mean, all those kind of things go through our mind. But notice also what Jesus says here. He says that, yes, God ha has known. He knows. I mean, he is God. He knows everything. It's kind of beyond us to really figure out how can both of these things fit together, but they do in his mind. Because Jesus goes on and says, I revealed all that you wanted me to tell them. And then what does he say? They made a choice. You notice that? He says here, they accepted it. And know that I came from you. And they believe you sent me. Dear friends, both of those things are very active in us coming to know God as our Savior through Jesus Christ. He is at work. It's his grace that brings us to him. We have nothing to do. We cannot earn it. We cannot make it on our own. We need God to be at work to make it true. And it's God that pulls us to himself. It's God that loves us from the beginning of time and forever. He's at work. But there's still a part where we need to make a choice. So don't sit on our hands and say, well, it's already been predetermined. I, I don't have anything to do. If God's speaking to your heart, you need to respond. If you've heard the message of Jesus, as these disciples have, you need to be like them. And you need to respond. And guess what? Life's not going to be easier, but it's going to be eternal. <laughs> you're not going to face the wrath of God because your sins are forgiven. And guess what? You're going to have the presence of God with you all the time, even when you do go through the hard times, which you'll go through anyway. But God's with you. That's the blessing that Jesus brings of eternal life. Now, let's go on to verses 9 to 11. I'm going to read here again from uh, the New Living Translation. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Stop right there. Now in this section, we find Jesus praying for those who are his. The concern of Jesus and his priority is for those who God the Father has given to him. Those who have come to the Father, and he's specifically praying for the disciples that are there, but those who have come to the Father through belief in the Son are deeply loved and cared for by Jesus. And those who belong to Jesus are different from those who don't. Those who belong to Jesus are part of God's kingdom. Those who have not come to Christ are still part of this world system. And the world system is very much against God and his ways. Um, you know, it's the world system, really, that ended up 
leading to Jesus being crucified on the cross. The rejection of Christ. And we know that in our lives, don't we? You know, as you try to share your faith with other people who uh, are living a life apart from God, there's not a real favorable response a lot of times. There's a conviction there. There's a realization that there's something there, but there's a pushback. And, And sometimes it's severe. Sometimes it's, you know, not so severe, but there's still that tension that exists there. And so Jesus said, I'm not praying for the world. Now, that sounds kind of interesting because we say, well, doesn't Jesus have a heart for the world? Well, certainly he does. And later in this prayer, we'll find him praying more in that way. And certainly God is not willing that any should perish. And Jesus came for the world. God so loved the world that he sent his son. But here in this prayer at this time, he's showing the priority of his love for those who are his. We love him because he first loved us. And so Jesus loves us and prays for his disciples and prays for us. He prays for those who are no longer a part of this world and those loved and cared for by him. Now, certainly he prays here. We see that very evident that he's praying specifically right here in this prayer. But you know, the prayers of Jesus for his people don't end in this prayer in John 17. Do you know that he's still praying for us today? Matter of fact, uh, I have several scriptures to share with you that make that very clear. In Romans 8.34, we read this. Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Isn't that a great word for us? How about 1 John 2.1? If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Anybody sin? Got an advocate. You know what an advocate is? That's the one that stands in the court and says, not guilty. And let me tell you why. I took care of him. He's our advocate. He's on our side all the time. How about uh, Hebrews 7.25? He is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. You see, Jesus just doesn't save you and leave you all alone. (laughs) You belong to him. He prays for you. He prays for you that you will not fall and fail. And in Hebrews 9, 24, we read, Jesus entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. Four very strong scriptures making it very clear that Jesus is in the presence of God representing us, praying for us, interceding for us, advocating on our behalf. And he says here in this passage that we just read from John 17 that he prays for us because we belong to God. Our faith in Jesus brings us into a very special position with him praying for us. Certainly we are lost without him, and we wander around without hope, and without help. But in him, we have hope and help. He also says that he prays for us because we bring him glory. We are his and our lives in him. Point to him as well. Dear friends, whenever a life is changed by Jesus, that life brings him glory. When you heard these testimonies this morning, 
of people who read God's word and eventually accepted Christ as their Savior, what were your thoughts? I heard some of you wanted to clap. Why were you clapping? Because Jesus was glorified, right? God showed his power in a life. And because you've seen that yourself, you know that's been true in your own life. You know, when a life is changed, we bring Jesus glory. Jesus is seen by others for who he is as a new life is observed. And you know, that's to be true in every life. Sometimes we hear a testimony and we think, oh, my testimony is not that great and that exciting. And, and so, you know, uh, it's that person that glorifies Jesus. But, you know, I'm not too sure about me. I got this, kind of this blasé, you know, testimony. Hey, every testimony of coming to Christ is a miracle. Every person that has opened their heart to Christ is one who brings glory to Jesus. Do not let the devil or your own thinking or somebody else put you down in a spot where you think, well, I'm just a nobody. Well, we are a nobody, but we're pointing to somebody who has made something out of that nobody. Jesus is to be glorified through our lives as we speak about him, but particularly as we live for him and let him be shown through us. And then Jesus prays saying that he is departing from the world, but his disciples are staying as he comes to be with the Father. Now we know from his previous teaching in this upper room discourse that he's made it very clear that as he leaves, it's good for them because his leaving means he will be sending the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be a constant presence within their lives to empower them to live the Christian life, to live out their witnessing calling that Jesus has placed upon them, to bring glory to him. His going to the Father also means, as we just stated, that he will be interceding for them in heaven. And their presence in this world means that they are his representatives here. We see that coming to fullness at Pentecost when the Spirit of God comes upon them and they begin to witness in power. Jesus prays here in this prayer for us that we will be fruitful in this capacity. Now let's move on to the last part of this section, verses 11 and 12. Picking up there in the middle of verse 11. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so, they, so that no one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures were told. Jesus says here that while he was on earth, he protected the disciples. He watched over them. His presence was their spiritual protection. We read in the book of Luke uh, a situation there at the very end of uh, Jesus' life um, at the Last Supper. He says to Peter this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And in this prayer we read, during my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. And now he prays for the Father to protect them as he leaves them. He specifically prays here for them to be protected in two ways. The first is that they would be protected in the whole area of unity. He prays to the Father, protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. 
Now, just a little side thought here. Remember, as we're reading this and how we think sometimes, but Jesus is not praying that we would be protected from trouble. He's not praying that we'll be protected from sickness. I mean, he's able and capable of doing those things, but that's not what he prays for here, all right? God's purposes are what he's praying for. And God's purposes are that no matter what we face, these things will be the priorities in our lives as we glorify Him. And the first one is for unity among believers. You know, it's so clear to us, isn't it, in the world we live in, that that when there's disunity among God's people, guess what the testimony does? Down the tubes. Right? I don't want any part of that group. (laughs) They can't get along with each other. You know how they treat other people? Yeah, it's a big deal, isn't it? Jesus says this is a priority in his praying. Father, protect them. He knows our difficulties and our fallenness of dealing with each other. It's tough. Some of you aren't as nice as me. That was worth a laugh. (laughs) It's hard to get along with each other sometimes. We're still in this world. We're not a part of it if we know Jesus, but we're still in it and we still have the effects all around us, even within us at times. And we need God's protection. Jesus prays for this. He prays for you. You know, one of the things I enjoyed coming to be a part of this congregation was when I was reading your statement of faith and your bylaws and all. And one of the things, that if you've become a member, you've signed, you agree to, as a part of a covenant, to say, I will protect the unity of this congregation. That's a very appropriate commitment in light of what Jesus says is important, right? We need to have that mentality. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. And and knowing that Jesus has prayed for it, that is so encouraging. This is something that we are on the right path about, if that's our focus. And we have his assistance and power to make it happen. Let's not let the devil get a foothold. And if he does, let's show that he's already a loser and deal with it when there's problems between us. We can do that. We can get through it. We can do so by trusting Jesus to help us say something to somebody when maybe we don't feel like it and say, we need to work this out. We pray together. We look together to God to bring us into unity. Thank God that he does. So he prays. Unity is on his heart. We're going to spend some time on this in the next couple of weeks because it continues in this prayer. And we'll get to that. Satan certainly would strive to divide us. But Jesus prays that that will not happen. But he also prays for protection from the Father for his disciples in the whole area of not letting them be lost. He prays that He has guarded the disciples so that no one was lost except Judas. And after this prayer, of course, when he went to the cross, it looked like that prayer was not answered because they all had been lost as they had deserted him. Nobody was around. But it was only Judas who betrayed him completely. The rest waited in the upper room in prayer and were filled with and became his witnesses. Protecting them led to the salvation of the whole world. It was very essential. And Jesus says here that the loss of Judas 
was a fulfillment of Scripture. In Psalm 41.9, we read these words. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. Jesus did not lose Judas because he cast him out. Because the passage that he's saying is fulfilled here is one that says he called him a best friend. And one who was trusted completely. Judas was trusted to be the treasurer of the disciples. He carried all the money. Matter of fact, we also know he stole some of it. It was all uptight when the woman offered such valuable things to worship Jesus. He said, That's your, that could be given to the poor. You remember, he was all about the money thing. But he really wasn't about following the loving, caring Lord Jesus, who really was one who called him his best friend. You see, Judas chose the course of action that led him to being lost. It was with his full consent, not against his will, that he ended up doing what he did. God was going to lead Jesus to the cross. That was the ultimate. But it didn't have to be Judas, but it was. It didn't list his name in Psalm. It just said somebody was there going to perform that way. You know, it's a warning to all of us. As I read this, I thought about the fact that people can be close to Jesus, be around Christians, see the work of Jesus, even know him as a friend, as a good teacher, a good person, but not ever really choose to let him be Lord in their life. I hope that's not true of any of you here this morning, but I know it can be. You know, sitting in a church is not the key to us knowing God. It can be a way that we get to know Him, but we have to choose. We need to say yes. Judas could have said yes, but he said yes to money. He said yes to betrayal. He said yes to the things that led him to be the one that Jesus lost. He doesn't want to lose anybody, but we all have a choice. It troubled Jesus that Judas turned against him. It, it troubled Jesus when the rich young ruler came and asked him questions, and Jesus said, well, this is what it requires to really follow me, and he walked away sorrowful. Jesus wept when he looked over Jerusalem because the people would not come and believe. It troubles Jesus when people are lost. It's not his desire at all. But he gives us the choice. You know, there can't be a true loving relationship unless we have that choice. God knows that. He's made us to relate to him in love. But he is not willing any to perish. He's done all that he can. I trust if you've not opened your heart to him, that you will realize how much he loves you and that he's drawing you to himself. And you just need to say yes. You need to let him in. And if you do, what seemed to be so hard before you said yes suddenly becomes a wonderful delight. <laughs> And you'll say, why did I wait so long? I heard so many people say that. 
Well, I don't have a good answer for that, but I know you don't need to wait any longer. Open your heart to him. So as we go from here today, if you have decided to follow Jesus, be encouraged that Jesus prays for you. He prays for those who are his. He prays that we would be protected from anything that would disrupt unity among us. And he prays that we will not be lost. I love that benediction at the end of the book of Jude. You know that one? It's a promise that God will keep us from falling and present us faultless before his throne. That's a tremendous word. Hang on to it. Amen. He loves you. Jesus continues to pray for you from heaven. And if you have not decided to follow Jesus, and you are here around him, don't be satisfied with just being around. Dear friends, if you haven't accepted him as your Savior, he hasn't come into your life and brought forgiveness and new life, you are still lost. And you will be lost for eternity unless you choose to come to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to hear from and to see into the heart of Jesus as we read through this prayer. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit to reveal to us your truth, to encourage us with the love of Jesus and the fact that he is praying for us, to encourage us with the wonderful position we have of protection and your love. Lord, I also pray, as we've talked about the fact that we have a choice to make. You've done all of the work. We just need to say, yes, come into my life. Change me. I need you. Lord, I pray if that's the need here this morning in anyone's heart, that will be their prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us. We uh, haven't done this song in a little while, I don't think, um, but if you know it, uh, please sing out. Um, and if you don't, it's very easy to um, pick up and sing along, so um, it's great.
What a wonderful promise that we have in the Lord. He overcame, and so thus in Him we are overcomers. And I want to close with that doxology I shared with you in the message from Jude at the very end of that book. To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. <laughs> I love that part. 
To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week.